Morning, church. I joked with uh, Justin previously, and I said, tell me it's going to be bluegrass. I've been waiting for him to play some bluegrass for a while, and he still hasn't done it, although that was a wonderful song. I appreciated that. There will be peace for us in the valley one day. That Isaiah passage that he referenced relates to the millennial kingdom where we will reign with Christ for a thousand years here on earth and there will certainly be peace up until the end and then Christ will set all things in place which we will see here today. And I must tell you up front that I am extremely excited. It was difficult for me to hold back my fire and energy in the first service so I'm warning you up front even in this service here today, but okay, good. I I got about an hour and a half in me. (laughs) So you take your Bibles and open them to Ephesians chapter 1. The title of today's message is Redeemed for His Glory. I want to begin this morning with a historical account taken from an article. I've paraphrased to condense it, much of it. But it will set the stage for us. I have two accounts. One that's somewhat hypothetical, but it really does happen. And this is an actual historical account. In 2010, pirates off of the eastern coast of Africa had become increasingly adept at kidnapping for ransom. On one occasion, they managed to capture an oil tanker by the name of Sam Ho Dream. The tanker was deemed a valuable target with a crew of 24 members and a cargo worth nearly $170 million. In order to increase their leverage for a successful seizure, the pirates held the crew and and the ship for an extended period of time. With an initial demand of $20 million dollars, The situation was definitely indeed precarious. Finally, though, after a ransom payout of nine and a half million dollars and seven long months, the crew and the ship, all of them intact, were finally released. Could you imagine being one of those crew members? Being a man that's doing nothing more than providing for your family. And then this, in many respects, probably already separated from your family for a period of time as you're out to sea. Now, I don't know all the details of this Samho dream circumstance, but I'm guessing there was little to no contact with loved ones during this encounter. Perhaps for some of those men and the crew on that ship, they might have wondered whether or not they would see their loved ones again. What's more, before the euphoria of being actually rescued, I'm sure internally, many of them would have thought, why me? 
Why am I in this situation? I have a family to get home. I'm just out here providing for my family. I've done nothing to deserve this. Allow me to offer another rescue illustration which continues to lay the groundwork for us. There are many examples of men and women who unfortunately have been wrongfully convicted of specific crimes. I read some of the stories which I won't share with you here this week. It was fascinating and amazing and sad in many respects. Some of these individuals served years in prison, wrongfully accused. That said, whether it was a ransom for rescue for the Sam Ho dream, or DNA evidence that brings to light a false conviction, consider the feelings that would have transpired after circumstances such as that. Pure elation, relief. I can't even begin to imagine serving decades in prison for a crime that you did not commit, and then what it would be like to then be released. For the men of the Samho dream, I'm guessing the seven months probably felt like an eternity in many respects. I'm sure we'd all agree. We'd be at a lack of words to describe the totality of emotion that would prevail in circumstances such as that. And yet, with these two illustrations, the release was for the innocent. Let's switch that example around. Envision being the one who stands before the judge and the jury knowing you are the rightful convicted murderer. And to add to that, the only rightful outcome to that is the death penalty, at least from a human fairness perspective. And yet, if I continue my illustration into reality, a ransom was paid for you. One which a substitution was required. You see, justice had to be paid for. And yet this justice was not paid in millions of dollars, but through the precious blood of the Lamb. There's no sweeping this crime under the rug as much as many would attempt to do so. This is a ransom that is the greatest of all ransoms. This is the ransom which many of you know personally is the redemption and the deliverance that only Christ could pay for his people. Those in whom the Father elected before the foundation of the world and then gifted to the Son. As we come to Ephesians chapter 1, 
verses 7 through 10 in our exposition here today, we see one glorious theme for the ages. That God has rescued a people according to His will and for His glory. And oh, by the way, let's not forget this rescue was accomplished not for the innocent, but for the helplessly guilty. Paul in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, described it as such, brothers and sisters in Christ, those of us who understand fully what it means to be helpless. Paul said, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. Before Christ. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God... Those two wonderful words demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. And going back to Paul's charge in verse 3 of chapter 1 to bless the Lord because of these spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Today, beloved, I want us to stand in awe with hearts dancing for joy as we examine what does redemption reveal. In these four verses, we'll see three certainties in response to that question. And hopefully and prayerfully, three certainties that continue to drive us even more to be a people that, as we discussed last week, practice that Hebrew concept of wisdom, skill in living, life application, hearts dancing for joy, as Spurgeon said. With that said, are you ready? Would you stand with me, please? Let's read Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 10. Our passage for today, God's inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and living word. Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 10 reads, In Him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed in him. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Amen. 
You may be seated. Our first certainty in response to the question, what does redemption reveal, is number one, the grace of God. If we think of election as we've looked at for the past three weeks as producing a heart that just dances for joy, without a doubt, it only continues to do so as we consider the grace of God in the redemption of our Lord. That said, if grace can be defined as, which it commonly is, and it is a good definition, as unmerited favor, then how does redemption reveal this grace? How does redemption reveal this unmerited favor? How does it create a heart that dances for joy? First off, it's critical for us to grasp that those in whom the Father elected, Christ, and here's my emphasis, will redeem. This verb to have here, it's, it's, it's written in a way that communicates reality. This is not a possibility. This is a certainty. This takes us back to our life of assurance from last week. Whether it's election, adoption, or redemption, we could continue on through the rest of this long chorus of praise in one original sentence, verses 3 through 14. They all work together in a singular train of thought for Paul. They all work in harmony in creating a life of assurance in the spiritual blessings in heavenly places that we as brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are the born again, fully appreciate and realize nonetheless. I want to put some meat on this bone specifically regarding the grace of God and redemption. What exactly is redemption? How does it continue to contribute to this life of assurance? Uh, as I alluded to in the introduction, it certainly carries a sense of a ransom that's been paid. It's a release or a deliverance from captivity. You could make the analogy that it pertains to a slave that has been freed, even throughout the Old Testament. We see that it often has its roots within Israel's deliverance from Egypt. All that to say, there's a slavery that exists and a ransom that's been paid. Having unpacked the doctrine of 
total depravity, we understand the slavery. Having unpacked the doctrine of sovereign election, we understand the Father's plan that initiated this rescue. Nevertheless, we also saw from last week in John chapter 6, the Son's commitment to come and fulfill the will of the Father. This rescue, this ransom, and this redemption. How does he do that? Well, the text clearly states, we have redemption through his blood. Jesus Christ has paid the ransom for the helpless, for the depraved, for the utterly unable and unworthy with his blood. Once again, this sin, this crime cannot be swept under the rug. Sin always has consequences and always requires a sacrifice for the nation of Israel. The high priest annually would go before Yahweh in the holy of holies we see in Leviticus chapter 16 and Leviticus 17, the annual day of atonement that he would present on behalf of God's chosen people with sacrifice. In Leviticus 17.11 we read, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Now, whether it was the nation of Israel, or for the church that was initiated and birthed on the day of Pentecost in which we are a part of here today. Forgiveness of our trespasses was and is always the need. How was that possible? For Israel, there was only somewhat of a temporary, not final atonement or redemption. As we just stated, the Day of Atonement needed to be enacted on an annual basis. That's it. In Christ's redemption, in His covering with His precious blood, there was a total and perfect release from the obligation of guilt and sin that comes inherently as a consequence. There was a rescue from our slavery to sin. I want us to see the magnificent grace of God that we now experience in this redemption. In order to do that, turn with me over to the book of Hebrews. 
and 9. As we consider this redemption and this covering and which will lead to this realization of assurance that we have in the grace of God. Hebrews chapter 9, I'll read verses 11 and 12 and then I want to read one verse from chapter 10. Hebrews 9 verses 11 and 12 read, But when Christ appeared as a high priest... Of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained an eternal redemption. Then look over at chapter 10, verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You can turn back to Ephesians. Beloved, here's what I want you to see concerning this incredibly assuring, encouraging, refreshing, if we use our Proverbs 16.22 from last week, fountain of life. I planted this seed several weeks ago and and only now are we beginning to see it come to fruition in its fullness. But the reality that disunity cannot exist within the Trinity is crucial to understand. It would be a contradiction to the one essence and being of the triune Godhead. If you recall... We said, so to speak, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit cannot be on different pages concerning the will of God. That said, here's this fountain of life encouragement that I want to share with you. Those in whom the Father elected and gifted to the Son according to His will are the exact same ones that Christ came to shed His blood for. He came not to do His own will, but to do the will of the Father once for all, perfected for all time, In two weeks, we'll see this perfect unity in the Spirit as He seals those in whom the Father chose, those in whom the Son redeemed. Those, as we saw in John chapter 10, He called by name. 
Those in whom, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, as he applies it to himself, we can apply here today, who loved me, who gave himself for me. I want us to bask for a moment in this special, specific, intimate, and perfect love that God displays for His sheep alone. Brother, sister, in Christ, you who were called by name, You who he leads out. You who will never be plucked from his hand. Hallelujah. So much so is this perfect grace of God. In verse 8 he says, These riches of his grace he lavished on us. Who is the us, but yet those in whom the Father chose and the Son redeemed. This is an emphatic declaration of the grace of God. It's abundant. It's exaggerate. It's poured out lavishly on you. As for this phrase, riches of, Paul is partial to it in this letter. He uses it five times as a point of emphasis. Two, as we see here when he says riches of his grace. Two, when he says riches of his glory. And then one other, which I want us to see. Look over at chapter 3, verse 8. As Paul says, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Beloved, if you're in Christ... You have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That is the perfect grace of God designed for you. That is unmerited favor for a people who were nothing but sons of disobedience pursuing the lust of their flesh. That's a reason for us to dance for joy. Moreover, To use our fruits from last week. To live a life of assurance. To live a life of humility. And to live a life of confidence. So without a doubt, redemption is a wonderful 
incomprehensible example of God's grace for his people. What's more, it demonstrates the power of God to accomplish it with perfect and certain according to his will. Certainty. With that demonstration of his power, we come to our second certainty of what redemption reveals, and that's number two, the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. We, we saw in verse five, in election, the sovereignty of God. Paul states in verse five, you know it, He predestined us according to the kind intention of his will. We unpacked the reason behind that. It's because of his will. With redemption, the sovereign and unified and perfect will of God continues to be on display in this section. To begin with, in verse 7, we see these two words that we've already identified as a major theme for Paul in this letter. In Him, or in Christ, used nearly at least 22 times throughout this letter. All of them communicating an absolute dependence and awareness of the power of God as opposed to any power or strength in man. What's more, as you look at this symphony of praise, which we cannot Even though we're focused on verses 7 through 10, we cannot pull away Paul's context of this one unified thought in verses 3 through 14. Within that thought of praise, look at his repeated use of the preposition according to. Even in this one sentence, verses 3 through 14 in the original language, Paul uses it four times. I want us to see each of these times in context as it continues to contribute to what does redemption reveal in light of the sovereignty of God. All tied together in Paul's one thought. Look at verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Our verse here today, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Regarding that grace, let's not forget what we saw in verse 6. It was freely bestowed. That is to say, it had nothing to do whatsoever with man. It was freely bestowed. And then in verse 9, 
He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him. You'll remember in our exposition of verse 5, this word kind intention relates to his good pleasure. And then one more in verse 11, which we will deal with next week. In him, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose. So, within this one original sentence, we can summarize the sovereignty of God as such. Sovereign election, redemption, and revelation are all according to His will, His grace, His pleasure, and His purpose. Might we say, as we stated several times now, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen? Moreover, look at verse 9 once more. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him. Now, we'll deal with this mystery in our next certainty, but for now, notice the mystery revealed was purposed in him. That's to say, this redemption, which was all of God, and the revelation that it produces, was prepared beforehand. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, Paul describes it as such when he said, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Do you see the divine connection of Scripture throughout? Scripture interprets Scripture. The grace of God in redemption is according to the sovereignty of God planned in eternity past all for His own purpose. Now, before we look at the ultimate fulfillment of that purpose in our third certainty, I want to offer a quick thought for our hearts to dance, if you will. As we saw from last week, I keep mentioning that Proverbs 16.22, which states that understanding is a fountain of life to those whom have it. You know, you are the redeemed of the Lord. 
And as the old song say, says, let us say so, amen? But that said, how might we apply this fountain of life, this skill in living in light of these unfathomable riches of Christ? How might we respond to the fact that we have been redeemed and we say so? Scripture is always the best illustration, apart from any ship that's ransomed or prisoner that's been exonerated. For that, turn back to Romans chapter 6 as we ask the question, how might we apply skill and living in light of these unfathomable riches of Christ the grace of God, the sovereignty of God, all being revealed in those in whom He's redeemed. How might we respond? Romans chapter 6. Listen to these words and let them resonate deep down within your heart and soul. Verses 1 through 7 read, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified, with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For He who has died is freed from sins. Friends, the perfect once and for all ransom has been paid for you, if you are born again in Christ here today. Whether it's anxiety, whether it's a wandering eye, or whether it's a quick temper, whatever sin it is, that easily entangles the best of us. Walk in the newness of life that we have been delivered for and to. Going back to the hostages of the Sam Ho dream, I'm guessing that after their ransom and rescue, they had a much greater appreciation of life. Amen? 
How much more so should we? Amen? That's a bigger amen there. So, I mentioned an ultimate purpose that flows forth from what redemption reveals. It's this ultimate culmination where we find our final certainty for today. And that's number three. The glory of God. Turn back to Ephesians if you're still in Romans. Which I was. And look again at verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him. We need to briefly address the meaning of this word mystery before we focus our primary attention on verse 10. Throughout scripture, this word is rightfully understood as a previous truth that was misunderstood or not even known, which has now been revealed to a specific or special group. For example, in Matthew 13, 11, we read, Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Or even within this letter, we see two other key references to this mystery regarding Jews and Gentiles and Christ and the church. Look over at chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. He says, by referring to this, When you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, and as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That is a mystery, Gentiles, that we should certainly celebrate as it has been revealed to us that we are fellow members of one body, fellow partakers of the promise which is in Christ Jesus. And then one over, one other over in Ephesians chapter 5. As he closes out that chapter. I, I mentioned this in the first service. I can't wait to get to this chapter. We're going to have some marriage counseling in Ephesians 5. Rich counseling that I need and we all need. But it'll be a while. 
before we get there, especially if I keep going at this rate. That said, mystery. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. Read, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So, regarding that understanding as we comprehend what Scripture entails, Paul goes on to demonstrate that redemption has also contributed to another mystery revealed, which is majestic in its proportion. This is just magnificent, beloved. And to see it, look with me at verse 10 of chapter 1. with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. You know, as we look around the world that we live and operate in, it can truly be discouraging at times. Can it not? Especially if we let ourselves be caught into the whirlwind of this culture. It seems even more prevalent in a month such as this. In which... Certain individuals, and really even more the society in general, saddens me to say, celebrate the perversion of simply demonic and evil ideology. From a principal perspective, it reminds me of Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us with a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Well, there is still certainly a remnant of God's faithful men and women in the midst of this debauchery. And because of that, 
And because of the realities of the certainties that we have in Christ, we can and should still live with a smile on our face, a bounce in our step, confidence, assurance. Are we discouraged at times? Yes. Do we see the celebration of depravity? Yes. But we also have an answer to that, do we not? Are we so excited about this redemption that we sing about that we're willing to step into the fold of that darkness and speak, yes, truth. Homosexuality is sinful. But brother, sister, in the same way that I was guilty before a holy God, If you turn from your sin, you can receive forgiveness of your trespasses and you can be rescued. I love you. Turn before it's too late. We can live with confidence and hope and courage right now, even in the midst of this. But nevertheless, oh my friends, There is a day coming where the fullest extent of God's headship and His glory will be on display. For now, in His sovereign plan, He's allowing the God of this world to go to and fro, seeking whom He will devour. And yet, like a master conductor he is sovereignly orchestrating and managing everything until the fullness of time is complete what's more when this time transpires the redeemed of the Lord you brother you sister will see the summing up of all things in Christ In heaven and on earth. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. The day is coming where we'll no longer experience the righteous indignation that we should have for the sin that afflicts us daily. Or the sin that surrounds us in the culture that we live in. The day is coming where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. A day in which the glory of God will manifest itself in triumphant victory like never seen before. A day in which, as we sung this morning, there will be peace for me in the valley. Amen? With that said, as we draw to a close, I want us to see a picture of this illustrious and transcendent summing up of all things by way of Scripture. Turn back to Romans chapter 8.
as we look to be encouraged and strengthened and edified by this authoritative and living Word of God. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23, as we think about the summing up of all things that is to come. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Hallelujah. The summing up of all things. It's coming. It's imminent. Friends, indeed, creation and all of mankind is cursed because of our forefather, Adam. Oh, but God the Father in His infinite, sovereign plan, chose to elect you, brother, sister. He called you by name. He leads you out as His sheep. Oh, but God the Son came in perfect submission to the will of the Father to redeem those who were gifted To Him. Oh, but God the Spirit will seal you and assure you, completing in perfect harmony and unity what was designed specifically and specially for you, dear saint. Hallelujah. Oh, the grace of God never ceases to amaze. Why did he do this? It was all according to his purpose, his will, his pleasure, and his glory. Amen? And for that, we can sing with all the saints of old, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen? 
We can live with victory. We can live with skill and living. We can experience a fountain of life like no other in the here and now and one day at home for eternity. Never again to deal with the pains and the trials of this world, but to live in peace in the valley. Hallelujah. So profound. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we bow before you as our sovereign king, the one in whom came to pay the perfect ransom once and for all for those in whom are being sanctified. We are your people, not because of anything in and of ourselves, O God, but because of your grace, because of your mercy, unmerited favor. And, O Lord, as we revel, as we glory, and all that you have freely bestowed upon your people. We also cry if there be anyone under the sound of our prayer and voice here today who has never become born again. Jesus says you must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. If that is anyone here today, Brother or sister, turn from your sin and receive Christ and his redemption. Confirm your calling and election as secure. He is faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sins. precious and mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.